0: Hi, this is your host Wenhan. The discussion that we have in this episode is a little bit different from the usual content that I bring in the series, but if you do enjoy it, please let me know and I'll be sure to bring more of these in the future. This uh, discussion was recorded on June 14, 2020 and covers the events from March to June 2020 and this is a notice that of course things can and will change in the future and any topics discussed in this episode should not be taken directly as investment advice you should always do a thorough research before investing your money and always use your judgment when you do so with that enjoy the episode Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spared Change, our finance-related podcast. I'm your host, Wenhan. Today, we're taking a look at the impact of the pandemic on the economy and how the market has reacted. Uh, but first, I'm joined today by a classmate and a very good friend of mine, Aaron. Um, so thank you for taking the time. How are you today? Great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really
1: excited to be here and to talk about this. I'm actually very interested in finance-related things, and I invest a bit. On my spare time, so
0: awesome. So, Aaron, I guess we could start by taking a look at just uh, the fluctuation of the market over the past few months, um, especially when the pandemic started early in March. So, I, I've, I've taken a little look at the S&P 500 index, and it was at around three thousand points in early March, and it dropped to approximately two thousand points. So, that's a thirty-three percent decline. in in the span of one month, that was due to COVID. Uh, But then since then, since late March, all the way till I guess now early June, there's been a kind of a 40% rebound. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the rebound afterwards and probably give you a few words of caution. But first, let's talk about the impact of COVID on on the economy and how the market has reacted. I guess, the first impact uh, that I would say immediately that's being felt by a lot of people is unemployment,
1: right? Yeah, but one thing we've also seen is that the market hasn't been really following the economic data, right? They've been reacting a bit, but unemployment is still really high, and we are, there's no certainty that it's going to get better even in the next 12 months, and yet the market has still grown 40% and even peaked, NASDAQ peaked, I believe, Wednesday or sometime around that time, last week and there seems well at the beginning there seemed to be a lot of fear-driven selling and mainly by it seems like larger players like hedge funds and other institutions
0: like you're talking about the the rebound and you're right so it seems like the market's being out of bounds with the economy i guess from Like I said, from late March to early June, the market's up 40%, um, the Dow and and the S&P. And you said NASDAQ peaked, uh, had a historic high a few days ago. But right now, we're still in a time with a lot of uncertainties. Businesses aren't turning in profits yet. And a lot of them are actually still in hot water financially. So I guess that really begs the question, what's going on, right? It, It seems like the market's performance isn't really matching their, our economic realities. I guess I found this pretty interesting article uh, from A Wealth of Common Sense. I have it right here, but it says this phenomenon in which the market's out of bounds with, with the economies happened actually quite a few times in history, in, in 2009 especially. Uh, that's, a, that's a very recent example. And one of its explanation is that, and I quote here, the, the market is forward-looking while economic data is backward-looking. I guess that's true, but I still find personally that such a fast rebound is still somewhat alarming, right? People like certainty, but the fact is nobody really knows how how things are going to go from here. And I guess expectation has to do a lot with it. So we might be surprised. Quality companies might fall behind junk stocks. Like you said, there's a lot of speculation. You said hedge funds, but also just a lot of people have begun speculating at home individual uh, speculators as well
1: yeah so i mean what we've we seen and it's especially in times of uh high volatility is either the market is too low or too high and it's gotten to a point where people are uh, are uh, betting up bankrupt companies like hertz right mm-hmm. you saw hertz yeah. is up 60% was, yeah. it's really ridiculous and also yeah uh one of the things is that a lot of people especially day traders are more active because they're scooped up at home. And we've seen this phenomenon of Robin hood traders that are picking up junk stocks left and right. And that actually is a cause for concern because they're mainly millennials and that they're mainly millennials. They're not, they don't have that much investing experience and they're putting a lot of their income into these junk stocks that might, be
0: might have no value whatsoever in a month or two. Right. In a way, you could say the the market's overly enthusiastic, it's, it's, it's overheating a little bit. And basically, a lot of it, again, has to do with expectation. For example, people expect a vaccine to come out, and they expect that when it does, the market will will do will perform pretty well. But the the fact is, we don't know how things are going to develop, right? So even if a vaccine comes out, the market might react differently than you expect. Um, so for example, if there's good news, but it's not as good as people expect it to be, the market's not going to, the market's actually going to drop and vice versa. If bad news isn't as bad as people expect it to be, the market might, might rebound. So essentially what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that there's really no point in trying to predict where things are going to go. Basically, as, as an investor, as you, you as an investor, if you do your due diligence and you adopt a bottom-up approach, you invest in strong financials, you invest in a, in a strong business model and a management that looks at the long term, then the only thing that you have to do as an investor, not a speculator, is just to keep calm and stick to your plan. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. So I feel like as long
1: as you're not an algo trader that's making hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions, you should not think on the short term. You shouldn't think of making money within three or six months because what you're investing in is essentially your retirement, right? Or some passive income that you can build up slowly. And I feel like a lot of people are very impatient with their investing and they're kind because the, the day trading phenomenon is kind of taking over everyone's mentality, and people that start investing at first always try out the day trading approach, and it doesn't work usually because they don't have the knowledge or the technical skills or the algorithms to help them with that. So I feel like a lot of um, a lot of individual investors should think more on the long
0: term and be more patient. With
1: their investing.
0: Yeah, adopt a a more defensive and more cautious uh, uh, mentality when it comes to investing. So avoid speculation, for sure. So I guess just going back, we could talk a little bit about, I have a few uh, uh, stats here concerning unemployment. In February, I think, in the United States, unemployment was at around 3.8%. And in May, uh, just a month ago, it rose all the way up to almost 14%. And actually, unemployment numbers are probably understated because the labor force uh, rates, the the labor participation rate, has actually decreased. So that means unemployment numbers are actually comparable to the twenty five percent during the the nineteen twenty nine depression. So these are historic highs, and the unemployment the the self the self-imposed shutdown of the economy really took a toll on a lot of companies earnings, right? So if I've lost my job as a consumer, I might delay or simply abandon a purchase. Consumer confidence is very low. Um my discretionary income has taken a hit as a consumer. And by by extension, a lot of companies find themselves in a in a in a tough spot. And I guess there's a, there's a survey by Statistics Canada here, and more than half of Canadian companies reported a drop in revenue, so some as far as 40%. So I guess what's more striking is that a lot of companies filed for bankruptcy right when the shutdown began. So uh, other companies are holding on for maybe three to six months with government support, but that's a sign that a lot of companies' foundations, and I'm talking about, I guess, balance sheets here, weren't very strong to begin with, right? So we've seen herds and its competitor advantage rent a car lately um in Canada companies that went bankrupt. I'm thinking about Aldo, right? The the shoe retailer yeah. in the United States uh JCPenney, the department chain stores. Yeah, so actually a lot of these companies had
1: had issues for many years, especially JCPenney. Um right. I think they've had they've had issues since Bill Ackman invested in them a while back. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I'm sure a lot of individual investors don't really uh, look at financials because it's boring and it's tedious, but it's something that's necessary. Even if you just check that they, they have a good amount of assets to liabilities, a good ratio, they have a, a good amount of cash in their uh, holdings. And things like that, they don't have uh, many many debts they have to settle in the uh, near future. Things like that. I feel a lot of people don't pay attention to these things, and they should just watch a few, just watch a few YouTube t- tutorials on how to read company financials. It doesn't take that long, and it's a necessary process to like be. Uh, it's necessary to as a defensive investor, right? Absolutely. And yeah. you talked about the unemployment rate, and I was just thinking how it's really not reflected in uh, the S&P or the Dow or the NASDAQ. And the thing is that uh, indexes like the S&P, right, the 500 most important companies on the stock markets, these companies are usually less affected because they have the ability to adapt to a... Uh, Crisis situation like the current pandemic and the ensuing lockdowns, while small businesses like your dipanar or um your you know your uh, local bar or restaurant, they can't adapt, right? They are essentially yeah. they well, depending on where you are, they probably are still forced to pay their rent. They have probably interest to pay on their debts. And they do not have any revenue whatsoever, most of them, or a minimal amount of revenue. And these are the companies that are affected and their employees are the ones that are affected. And if you look here, I have some data, right? So 20% of the S&P is occupied by Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Facebook, all of which are tech companies that have been doing exceptionally well during the lockdown. And in the U.S., small and medium-sized businesses account for forty-seven point three percent of American employees, and most of their employees are have been laid off or are uh, at reduced working at reduced hours, or reduced pay, um, things like that. So the stock market really isn't reflecting the economic reality at the moment. So it is definitely concerning for the future whether the unemployment is gonna the economic state of north america is going to eat into the stock market and really affect performance and also another thing that i'm concerned about is the debt markets because a lot of companies are filing for bankruptcy protection right so a lot of mortgages are going to go unpaid a lot of debts unsettled and that is definitely another concern i have it kind of brings me back to 2007 when um With all the more mortgage foreclosures, right, and how all the how all
0: the debt securities were going bust, right. You brought you brought actually a lot of very good points. So what you were saying is basically a lot of firms are tapping into their credit lines, so they're borrowing money, and because of this increase in demand of credit, I guess the overall liquidity in the economy has decreased, and that kind of creates a vicious cycle and the companies that are hit hard the most by this lack of credit, this illiquidity in the market in terms of the credit, are the small and medium businesses. Because, for example, compared to a more established company, sometimes because smaller companies don't have that credit rating, they won't essentially get the borrowed money from the banks and they find themselves at a disadvantage. And I guess the second point you talked about, Amazon and and Microsoft – and Google doing exceptionally well. Well, I think during the pandemic, uh, basically virtual products and services really have an advantage over physical companies, right? With uh, with high fixed costs, for example, like you said, rent. Where companies that have low operating margins, um, so a lot of these companies are that are doing well, that are offering these kind of virtual products and services are are really capital light. Uh, which means they don't require many assets to support their operations. So companies with recurring revenues and companies that are capital light have a good chance of making it through tough times like that, especially during a self-imposed shutdown of the economy. Yeah, another business model I can think of that
1: should fare fairly well during this time are probably cheaper subscription-based uh, subscription-based uh, income models like Netflix or Disney Plus, things like that that are unlikely to get canceled by
0: consumers. Absolutely. So uh, revenues that are uh, recurring revenues, essentially, uh, that sort of business model does very well in times like these. Uh, You were talking about the unemployment, I I guess the gloom uh, outlook on the economy. And I think the other day, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, the chair of the uh, Federal Reserve in the United States, he's announced that, a lot of people might find themselves unemployed for on the long term. So three, four years. And I think coming back to what you said, that really that's really that comes out of the the fact that small and medium businesses won't recover. And like you said, they do employ a lot of people in the United States and also in Canada, but they they take up a significant portion of the of the employment market in the United States. So if they go bankrupt then yes, a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to find themselves jobless on the long term in the next three, four years.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, but the thing is, I'm thinking, like, the data is scary, certainly. (laughs) But if you're an investor and you're 40 years old or under that or younger, this crisis should not be a concern for you unless like you're a day trader and that's literally your main income <laughs> right yeah that's but it. because this all this money all this cash you have turned into stocks edfs and bonds you're going to turn it back into cash in 15 20 years when you retire or even more if you're younger so it, sh- it shouldn't be a concern for you just keep Buying into it slowly, patiently, always do your due diligence, look at the financials, things like that. Maybe wait out another three, six months before and to like, so that you can have a really good idea of what the recovery is going to be like. Is it going to be slow? Is it going to be quickly? And just keep buying into uh, the stock market like you always have been doing and be patient uh, because it's always going to recover, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess you mentioned look for strong financials, and I guess we could take a look at the balance sheets of a lot of those companies that are are struggling. So essentially, what happens um, during this sort of economic shutdown is that companies, and I know it's accounting, and 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 you might be scared away, but let me get, let me just. Uh, talk you through because accounting is so important when it comes to when it comes to investing, right? Uh, basically, during a pandemic like that, companies, they need more uh, what's called working capital. So that's, uh, those are the current liabilities subtracted from, I guess, current assets. And that includes, most importantly, the cash reserve. And that's very important. Um, and also another problem is that, I guess, a lot of companies account receivable increases so that means their customers aren't able to pay in time and that can also lead to cash shortage and the other problem is that leverage companies right those with a lot of bad debts they find themselves in trouble so essentially companies with weaker financials I guess the two main problems when it comes to to weaker financials is that one companies don't have enough cash on hand to take them through tough times like these and two a lot of companies have a lot of bad debts so these are two elements that you should really be looking for on the balance sheets when you're uh, looking at investing in companies for the long run Uh, do you have the financials uh, to to make it through hard times do you have a cash reserve that could that could sustain you uh, through through a three month six month shutdown maybe even longer and do you have a lot of bad debts on your accounts? Yeah, ultimately cash solves all the problems in the world. <laughs> yeah. I I guess uh, just a quick mention um, it it doesn't it, it's still it's still quite uh, important but on top of the drop in earnings and consumer confidence. Uh, There's been a drop in the price of commodities and and namely oil, right? So back in March, the uh, standoff, uh, let's call it what it is, uh, the standoff between Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, kind of drove oil production up at a time when demand was low because of COVID and we kind of know that the Canadian economy relies heavily on its energy sector, right? And that's been hit quite hard. But again, I guess the price of, of crude oil has restarted to increase over the past few weeks. So uh, that's just, that's just like, I guess, a tangent on um, how the Canadian economy has been doing. It's been hit quite hard, especially its, its energy sector.
1: Yeah, and actually this energy sector, I don't feel like it's paid much attention because it's mainly in like Saguenay or in Western Canada. But it is the one of the main drivers of the Canadian Canadian economy and that it does have a lar, a big impact on the Canadian dollar to US dollar conversion rate, right? Yeah. So this is something Canadian investors should, should keep in mind. Because right now, the conversion rate is pretty uh, high. So it's not that great converting Canadian dollars to U.S. dollars. So maybe stick with the TSX or something.
0: You're right. I mean, so basically how it works is that uh, when the Canadian dollar becomes stronger relative to the U.S. dollar, and you're holding U.S. equities with Canadian do- that you've bought with Canadian dollars, then when Canadian dollars rises your investment loses value, right? So that's what, that's what you're saying. But I personally think that if you have a good investment in the United States, just because there's a prospect of Canadian dollars rising and relatively to the U.S. dollar doesn't mean you shouldn't look at the U.S. market. But definitely when it's rising like that, you should definitely be careful and take that into account because just the currency exchange will have an impact on the fluctuation of, of prices.
1: Yeah. But the market as it stands now is probably going to go up and down and up and down for the next couple of months because we don't and especially with the prospect of a second wave. Right. Yeah. Um, and we don't know how much what's going to happen because a lot of governments are saying they can't afford another shutdown if there's a second wave. But how's the second wave going to look if there is no shutdown and a lot more people get uh, COVID at the same time? We don't know what's going to happen
0: then if the, because, well, we've never lived something like that. Yeah. So just to add on to what you're saying, I guess vol- the volatility in the market really has to do with, with the many uncertainties uh, that the, the, the future holds, right? We don't know how COVID going to develop things might get better. They might not. There might be a second wave. There might be a second shutdown. So we don't we don't know. Right. So and there's really no point in guessing where where it's going to go. And like like you said, there was that kind of uh, grim, depressing outlook uh, that the Fed gave a few days ago and the market had a kind of a knee jerk reaction and it dropped by like five percent in one day. But then uh, one thing you should remember is that the market will fluctuate, but you as an investor, basically, if you, if you do your due diligence, you'll be fine. You're, 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 the good companies are going to make it through tough times, even if there's going to be a second shutdown. So so don't, don't get carried away by the market's kind of either euphoria or ma- the market's panic, right? So just put down your foot and be steady and, and you'll make it through. Basically, do your due diligence as an investor.
1: Yeah, and also um, a lot of people buy into the market when it's dropping, right? But then it drops another 5-10 points, um, 5-10%, I mean, because they're they're too excited about the drop. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you should always look to buy on the uh, upward sloping part of the recovery instead of the downward sloping part of the drop. And that just comes with like, look, look at the charts. Um, I'm not a big fan of like technical analysis, but look where there's a uh, strong anchor a lot of resistance and buy above that a lot, a lot, because a lot of people bought into, I know a lot of people bought into the S and P like in uh, early March when it had already dropped a good amount thinking, Oh, it's can't go down more. And then it dropped another like 20%. Right. And that is a good amount of profit you missed off of because you bought in too early so always look to buy into the upward sloping part of the recovery
0: personally i'm not i'm definitely not a big fan of of timing the market but i guess the one rule you should always follow is never and and that's from uh that's from uh, a guy called benjamin graham uh he said basically (laughs) never buy a stock because its price went up and never buy and never sell a stock because its price went down right so that's the the rule you have to follow but I guess like what you were saying is uh, what if there's a drop and I get excited and I I hop on board, I guess, I guess one of the, uh, just to bring to bring back to a, one of the investment strategies that some people follow requires a lot of discipline is uh, the the concept of dollar cost averaging, right? So uh, basically Mm -hmm. putting a fixed amount into the, into the market every month, no matter how the market fluctuates. And if it keeps dropping, then, good the same thousand dollars will get you even more uh even more shares of the company if prices keep going down but then again dollar cost averaging does take a lot of uh discipline and it does take a lot of uh well it it, it, first of all it requires that you you have something to put aside every month and two it does require a lot of discipline
1: i mean even if it's 25 50 dollars you put aside every month it still amounts to a good amount of money in 10 15 years
0: absolutely right
1: yeah So, I mean, if you're dollar cost averaging, it works all the time. So, you don't even need to look at how your stuff is doing. Just put the money in. Exactly, Every month, you know? Yeah. Yeah, about the Ben Graham thing. The problem right now, Ben Graham's. he said, never buy something when it's growing, never sell something because it's falling. The thing right now is everything is growing and falling and nothing makes sense.
0: That's true. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's hard to value things um, at the moment, right? So I would say, like, I still stick by my uh, suggestion to look when there's an upward sloping, you you see a strong trend towards, because stocks are moving uh, according to sentiment. They're not moving according to intrinsic value at the moment. They haven't been doing that for probably since mid-March. Yeah. Especially on the shorter term. So look at a strong trend upwards. You can see this from either like even from like Secretary of the Treasury when he said, oh, we can't afford another shutdown. This is a strong indication that the companies aren't going to get hit as hard again because there's not going to be another lockdown. Right. Things like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess the most important thing is uh, just don't get caught in the in the general euphoria or the general panic that the market's going through definitely whenever you invest right always always make sure that you're looking for one strong financials to a management team that looks on the long term and three a competitive advantage or some sort of strong business model yeah don't definitely don't panic uh
1: don't fall for biases and i think something a lot of investors should do is have a bias or fear checklist right you should before you make a decision you're, you're not a day trader you don't need two milliseconds to make a decision right you have minutes <laughs> and things like that before you make a transaction go through a checklist see oh am i am i scared of this trade am i scared of what the market is gonna do am i loss averse of this trade or like am i like looking at this piece of information am, am i taking that piece of information too seriously things like that, go through a checklist and make sure that you're going into this deal clear headed.
0: Right. So I guess we could we could talk a little bit about uh, just quickly about the deflationary pressures versus the inflationary pressures in the in the economy so far. So definitely the self-imposed shutdown uh, of the economy really exerts an important deflationary pressure. To counteract that, we've actually seen a lot of uh, support from the central bank and the government. And and this time, actually, the response has been very, very quick. So I guess you could say they've learned a lesson from, from 2008 and they're not taking any chances this time. I guess some of the inflationary measures that we actually rarely see includes direct fiscal stimulus. So the injection of money into the economy. By uh, writing checks directly to people, uh, so in Canada there's the CRB and the CSB, uh, but I guess other measures. For example, there's uh, there's quantitative easing. So that's when uh, the central bank buys long-term government bonds to to inject money into the economy. Uh, there's tax rebates or tax deferrals, um, and of course there's a classic lowering of interest rates. Right, and and I guess speaking of which, the the slump of the of the economy really actually presents a lot of opportunities so i'm looking at uh, the low interest rates so that translates into a uh, low fixed mortgage rates and they're at around i think two percent that's that's a historic low if you're a borrower and i was talking about quantitative easing and some people are actually rebalancing their their portfolio so they're selling stocks and uh, they're selling bonds sorry and they're putting their money into equities, and some of which are actually more fairly priced now. But what I'm saying is there's definitely a lot of opportunities when it comes to this, uh, this shutdown. So because there's this sort of deflationary pressure due to the shutdown, but then the government's kind of counteracting that with, with inflationary measures right now. And you should look for these kind of opportunities.
1: Yeah. And one thing I think of when you talk about deflationary, inflationary is the U.S. Um, the U.S. dollar is not that prone to inflation because it's it's held to a standard, right? A lot of cu- countries will well pretty much manipulate their currency to be at a certain ratio to the U.S. dollar, right? Yeah. Also, people are, across the world use the U.S. dollar as an index, essentially. But the thing is, a lot of other cur- currencies, including Canadian dollar. There's definitely, I feel like, the inflationary pressure is definitely stronger than a deflationary pressure. Because there is so much cash being injected into the economy right now. But honestly, I don't think it is a big problem. We have not, the Western world pretty much has not had inflationary problems for the past 50 years. And yep. we've, we've seen even two thousand uh, in 2008, uh, they also, in the end, they started injecting large amounts of cash into the economy and it did not have that big of an issue. It actually led to a huge boom, right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: Well, yeah. Uh, well, right now, actually, inflation in Canada is at a historic low as well. It's at, I think, at like 0.5% inflation rate right now. And so, like, you're right, basically the inflationary measures that the governments are bringing in are actually somewhat necessary.
1: Yeah, but, uh, I mean, the inflation is probably going to have a def- delayed effect on the economy because also a lot of people are cooped up and not consuming. We definitely yeah, need to wait for more economic data to really determine this. But then again, I don't think the inflation is going to cause any problems, per se.
0: Right, yeah. Well, especially at a time when, Uh, consumer confidence is so low and earnings of of, uh, revenues are are, are down for companies now isn't a time to be to be scared of oh are we kind of injecting too much money into the economy i think right now the the well the fed where the central bank and the government's priorities are really just to help out these businesses make through uh these times and right now we're worried about unemployment right we're worried about a prolonged period of decrease in earnings i guess there's more pressing issues that they have to address
1: yeah and also in the equities market inflation affects every single company equally so there's nothing you need to worry about if you invest in the equities market or even bonds treasuries and things like that
0: yeah well for a long time a belief about equities is that They kind of protect you against inflation. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but definitely definitely your assets, when you're investing them in the equity market, most of the time, they're staying ahead of the inflation curve anyways.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing people can do to kind of offset it, I guess, is to buy a bit of commodities. But I've never really mingled with commodities because the... I mean, gold and silver are your standards, like, uh, safe havens, right? But then things like oil or wheat and uh, things like that, I find they are extremely political. So those are not things I recommend to any individual investor.
0: Yeah, well, but, they're they're very cyclical, too.
1: Also that. So, But if you, you do want to offset some of the inflationary... Um, some of the loss of value that I do think is uh, inevitable for currencies, you can definitely go buy some gold or some silver, Not, never too much because it moves kind of unpredictably.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, when it comes, I guess, to your asset allocation and, your, and how to manage your portfolio, uh, once again, I, I, I would definitely recommend uh, The Intelligent Investor. Uh, it was even though it was written some 50 years ago it's still I think extremely relevant today uh, he talks about uh, allocating how much should you allocate to com- like should you even touch commodities or as a defensive investor what your philosophy should be and what you should be looking for in companies and the do's and don'ts when you're when you're acting as an investor not a speculator in the market so uh, if you have time definitely pick that book up before you, you start investing just to get a solid, somewhat solid foundation before you start. Yeah. I
1: mean, the intelligent investor is the Bible of the individual investor.
0: Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's very, it's very, uh, it basically lays the ground rules of what you shouldn't be doing. And I think that's extremely important even though and and again even if you've read it and you you know that you shouldn't be caught up in your emotions like for example the the 5% drop in one day of the market even though you sh- you know you shouldn't be you shouldn't be affected by by this kind of fluctuation it's still very hard to to completely ignore your your emotions so definitely it's something to read and read again and always keep uh, by your by your side and and always, the, those rules are something are things you should always abide by, um, no matter what the times are, no matter if we're in a in a in a bull market or a, a bear market. Yeah, just remember that bear markets are never as long
1: as bull markets.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. So I guess we've uh, we've covered actually a lot. We're approaching the the forty minutes mark, and I guess as a closing remark, I would say. Once again, the three things you should be looking for if you're if you're investing is uh, one, strong financials two a strong business model and three, a management teams that has a long term vision of, of things. So when you're when you have all three elements combined and the companies, I guess, valued reasonably, that's that's a good sign that it's a good company to own. And those type of firms are going to make it through tough times, even through a three to six month shutdown, perhaps more. But as long as you're doing your job as an investor, as long as you're doing your research, right, uh, whether it's uh, on, by yourself or w- with a mutual fund, or whatever you're investing in, always do your research and always use your judgment. Every fluctuation of the market, every, I guess, emotion of the general public you shouldn't be affected by it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And another thing is always check your emotions. Make sure you're lucid going into transactions. Don't panic buy or panic sell. And always have a clear head. Be patient. That's the most important thing. Absolutely.
0: So I guess that wraps it up for today. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time, Aaron. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man.
0: Hey, this is one hand again thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the content be sure to share this series so it helped me a lot and as for this podcast next episode we're going to be back with our regular content so watch out for that i'll see you very soon